0: Happy Reformation Day. If you don't know what that is, it's a day when the church universal celebrates or should celebrate what happened almost 500 years ago when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to that church door in Wittenberg that started a conversation and then started a gospel revolution that we are a part of. And what he was saying essentially is that Human beings are justified, not by what they do, how obedient they are, but they are justified by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And so, happy Reformation Day. If you have the movie Luther, I recommend you watch it. Uh, It's a great uh, movie about that. Hebrews chapter 1, this is really just a continuation of our sermon Last week, um, I I need about at at least an hour to preach every morning, and we just can't do that with two services. So this is really where we would have kept going, minus the opening illustration, uh, from last week. So that's the hardest part of preaching and teaching is editing, cutting things out that you want to say. So we're going to continue really last week's sermon again today. So Hebrews chapter 1. As an introduction, then, um, let me tell you something that some of you know about me. I used to work for my father in law 's company called lights up industries and We took Hollywood by storm in the late 90s. We specialized in these helium balloons that had lights inside of them that we would use on movie sets, commercials, videos, special events, and there were lights actually suspended inside these gigantic helium balloons. We would fill these balloons up, it took about 10 tanks, of very, 10 very large tanks of helium to put inside these balloons, and then we would use a winch, and then we would slowly release them into the air. And then we would hit the on switch, and the bulbs would take a few minutes, and they would warm up and come on, and when they did, all of a sudden you would be staring at 16,000 watts of light floating in the air, creating this very soft light that lit up everything Around it. And without fail, soon after turning the balloon lights on, everyone would come around and gaze up at the balloon and start talking about it. They would be awestruck at what they saw, spellbound by 16,000 watts of floating light. Well, here's a picture of one of the first movies that my father in law worked on. Yes, that is from the movie Titanic. Several of our balloons were destroyed from the massive wind gusts where they filmed this portion of the movie. And so we were part of the reason why it cost so much money to make the movie Titanic. The production company had to pay us for our damaged balloons. Thank you, James Cameron. Here's another pic from the Titanic set. So you can see why when you're on a movie set and this balloon gets turned on and lifted up into the sky that people are drawn to it, And in the late 90s, no one had seen these things before, so people were simply awestruck. Here's another picture from another movie. There's the balloon before we sent it up into the sky. And yes, that's me on the left a little bit. You can't see it, but I'm sporting a really awesome ponytail right there. Here's another pick from that same movie that I was working on. This one is in the L.A. theater. Um, The movie was Richie Rich 2, probably one of your favorite movies, right? I doubt it. it. I think it went straight to video back in the day. And I tried to watch it once all the way through and I'm not sure I made it, but I was at least able to rent it. Thank you, Blockbuster, if you remember what that place is. Here's another shot of our helium balloons at Universal studios. It too is from the set of Richie Rich too. What's interesting about this photo is if you turn left right there by that building, you end up in the town square where they filmed that infamous scene in Back to the Future. You know, we're all talking about Back to the Future this week. If you hang a left right there, you end up in the town square where they filmed Back to the Future. It's also where they filmed the very first episode of The Twilight Zone, my beautiful wife, Heather, is in that picture. She's underneath, underneath the balloon, standing next to me, and she used to go with me on many of these jobs back when we were newlyweds, back before we had any kids, and we now wonder, what did we do with our time back then? We thought that we were so busy, we had no idea. So you can see how People would be drawn to this balloon. Back in 1997 and 1998, the film industry had never seen anything like this. People were literally awestruck when they would see this balloon turn on and then go up in the air. I remember working uh, on a movie once, What Dreams May Come. You may know that movie. And we had the balloon up in the air, and I'm standing up underneath it, and I hear this voice that I recognize, and this man says this, wow, wow. Is that thing bright? I think there's been a mistake. We ordered the large balloon. And I look over, and it's Robin Williams. And so I'm standing there having this discussion about these balloon lights with Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr. and Max von Sydow, if you know him. So every time we let these balloon lights up into the air, it would draw people and attract people to them. There's just something about seeing a 16-foot, 16 16,000-watt 16, helium balloon floating in the sky. It just has a way of sucking people in. And as you can imagine, it has a way of sucking in every bug and flying insect in Los Angeles. So every time we brought the balloon down, we had to shake off 10,000 bugs. I remember working... One time on an episode of Columbo, which is one of my favorite shows. I prefer the late 60s, early 70s episodes. But they did a few versions, a few episodes in the late 90s. And I'd had the balloon up in the air, 16,000 watts pumping out light. And we were filming in the country somewhere. And the director finally said those glorious words that you can't wait for him to hear. That's a wrap, which means it's time to go home. So it was quitting time. It was about midnight. I wanted to get home to... Heather, my wife, and the production company who rented the balloon wanted me to leave the balloon lit so everybody else could take their equipment down. And so I waited and waited and waited. Finally time to turn the balloon light off and we're out in the country and it goes pitch black. I mean, just like that, 16,000 watts of light are gone and I have to tear all of my equipment down with just a flashlight. I went from looking at 16,000 watts of glory to total darkness and covered in bugs. Well, that's similar to what happened to the audience of the book of Hebrews. They had seen and heard about the glory of the Lord. They had seen 16,000 watts of the glory of the gospel in Christ, and then it just went black. They wanted to go back under the law. They wanted more law and less grace. And that's why the preacher of Hebrews describes Jesus the way he does in verse 3. So look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The word that the preacher of the book of Hebrews uses here for radiant is a word that doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. It's only found here, and it means to radiate or to beam forth brightness. And as we saw last week, that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. He radiates and he beams forth God the Father. He radiates and he beams forth the love of God. He radiates and he beams forth the light of his glory, the light of his love. The love that was happening within the Trinity in eternity past, God the Father loving his Son in and through the Holy Spirit, that light, that love now radiates forth in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to spend one more week on this phrase. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And here's why. Because I had several conversations this week, and I was reminded with some people, and I was reminded numerous times this week, through numerous people, of just how easy it is to lose sight of how glorious Jesus is. It's true for me, and I'm going to assume it's true for y'all too. It's just so easy to lose focus and to obsess over a million other trivial things rather than the radiance of the glory of God. It's just so easy to lose sight of the glory of Jesus and what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And so that's why I want to hover over this verse for one more week. Now, I promise you that we'll pick up speed, Lord willing, once we get to verse 4. That's my plan. And if you're discouraged about our slow pace through the book of Hebrews, let me remind you of something that Paul Mills reminded us of last Sunday evening. He reminded us that when Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached through the book of Romans, it took him 15 years. That's about a year for each chapter. And there are 13 chapters in Hebrews. So if we follow Lloyd-Jones, we're going to be here a while. Don't be discouraged, though, Lord willing, we will not spend 13 years in the book of Hebrews. But I think the introduction to the book of Hebrews is so important for us to understand before we even begin to make our way through the book. And that's why I want to spend one more week unpacking the phrase that we looked at last week. I want to hover over the phrase for one more week, He is the radiance of the glory of God. For one more sermon, because I think we need to. And here's the main reason that we need to because there are still unevangelized dark continents inside every one of us. There are still unevangelized, dark continents inside the hearts of every single one of us. There are still places, there are still nooks and crannies where the light of the gospel has not shone in our hearts. There are still ungospelized places, unreached lands in our own hearts. Where the radiance of the glory of God has not shone. So we need the radiance of the glory of God to shine in all of these unevangelized places and all of these ungospelized lands in our hearts. There are unreached places in our hearts. We all have our own 1040 window, to use missionary language. We all have our own 1040 window inside of our own heart where we need to hear the gospel. Now, I get that idea from something that Paul Zoll said about the late pastor and theologian J.C. Ryle. Paul Zoll said this about J.C. Ryle. Yet, like many spiritual people, there were still unevangelized dark continents inside him. You see, no matter how much you have grown as a Christian, no matter how long you have been a Christian, there are still Unevangelized dark continents inside every one of us that need the gospel. There are places in our hearts where the light of the gospel is still needed. There are places in our hearts and minds where the radiance of the glory of God has not penetrated. There are places in our hearts and minds where the love of God has not penetrated. The love that God the Father had for his Son in eternity past in and through the Spirit. There are places in our hearts that still need that love to come in. Or the gospel has penetrated those dark places in our hearts and we have just pulled the curtain shut. So it's dark in places in our hearts. As long as we live, we will need the radiance of the glory of God to penetrate deep crevices in our hearts. And that's what was happening to the audience of the book of Hebrews. They were closing the curtains of their heart shut to the radiance of the glory of God. They were closing the curtains of their hearts shut to the light of God's love. And that's what we'll see today. This is exactly what the audience of the book of Hebrews was struggling with. And this is exactly why the preacher of Hebrews is preaching the gospel to them because they still have unevangelized, ungospelized areas of their hearts that need the radiance of Jesus, just like us. Just like us. And so the preacher of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, underneath that and around that phrase, he says they need to hear about Jesus, the radiance of his glory, because there are still unevangelized dark continents inside every one of us. Yes, we are justified, we are declared righteous. By God, because of faith in Christ and what he has done for us. Yes, we are forgiven of our sins. Yes, we are in union with Christ. Yes, we are the recipients of all the blessings that Jesus has secured for us. But we still have places in our hearts where we need the radiance of God's glory to shine. And last week we saw that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And we saw that Jesus radiates and beams forth God's glory, which means that he shines forth God's love. We saw that the God that we enjoy is not in essence a lawgiver, but a lover. That before he ever created a people to rule, before he was ever creator, before he was ever ruler, before he ever gave the law, what was God doing in eternity past? He was loving his son in and through the spirit. So, the God that we enjoy in essence, foundationally and fundamentally, who he is, he is not a lawgiver, but a lover. And we also saw that. The place and time when the glory of God shone the brightest was at the cross. John Calvin said it this way. In the cross of Christ, as in a magnificent theater, the inestimable goodness of God is displayed before the whole world. In all the creatures, indeed both high and low, the glory of God shines, but nowhere has it shone more brightly than in the cross. And Calvin is just echoing Jesus' words in John 12 when Jesus referred to his crucifixion as the moment when he would be glorified. John 12, verses 20 through 24 says this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Jesus equates his death as the moment when he would be glorified. So we see the glory of God shining the brightest at the cross and that means that if we want the gospel to shine into the dark places of our hearts, then we must look to Jesus. And that's exactly what those Greeks in John 12 said. They said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's how the gospel gets down into the nooks and crannies of your heart. That's how the gospel shines forth into those unevangelized dark continents in your heart. You have to see Jesus high and lifted up on the cross for you. You have to understand that through his sinless life, his complete obedience to God's law, and also his death on the cross the cross taking the curse of the law upon himself for us you have to see all of that for the gospel to get in you have to gaze upon him in the gospel what did david say in psalm 27 verse 4 one thing have i asked of the lord that i will seek after that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I want, David said. One thing I need. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. To see Jesus. But oh, how easily we drift. How easily we experience heart drift, how easily we are carried away by false gospels that we believe, false gospels that we preach to ourselves. We like to say that here, preach the gospel to yourself, but we are really good at preaching false gospels to ourselves, aren't we? And this is exactly what was happening to those that were the recipients of the book of Hebrews, which is why the preacher of Hebrews says this in Hebrews thirteen nine: do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. They were being led away to return to the old covenant. They wanted more law and less grace. And it happened because they got their eyes off of Jesus. Here's how John Calvin explains it. For how comes it that we are carried about with so many strange doctrines? Hebrews 13, 9. But because the excellence of Christ is not perceived by us. For Christ alone makes all other things suddenly vanish. Hence, there is nothing that Satan so much endeavors to accomplish as to bring on mists with the view of obscuring Christ, because he knows that by this means the way is opened up for every falsehood. This, therefore, is the only means of retaining as well as restoring pure doctrine, to place Christ before the view such as he is with all his blessings that his excellence may be truly perceived. Keeping Jesus in clear view was John Calvin's theological program. This is what his ministry was all about. Gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, keeping the gospel, keeping Jesus front and center, and that's exactly what will keep any church from drifting and being carried away by strange doctrines, and that's why we preach Christ-centered sermons here at Grace, because we don't want to drift. We don't want our hearts to get cold. We want to see Jesus. We want you to be saying to us, those of us who preach and teach here, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Listen, if we aren't pointing you to Jesus here at Grace, we want you to say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We all need to keep our eyes on Him. We all need the gospel daily. Why? Because there are still unevangelized, dark continents inside every single one of us. And your elders know this, Grace your elders your shepherds here know that we desperately need the radiance of the glory of the Lord shining into those dark places in our hearts and we were talking about it this week at our elder meeting we know that we're weak we know that we have not arrived we know that we cannot go it alone we know that we need each other so please understand this grace elders and pastors have dark places in their hearts too. Pastors have dark lands in their hearts that desperately need the gospel too. There are unevangelized places in our hearts, so please pray for us. We need the gospel as much as you do, we need the radiance of the glory of God to shine in our hearts. Not that we're hiding sin. We could be hiding sin because we're sinners like you. But your elders are working hard at being open with one another and sharing our struggles. Your elders are working hard here at Grace to be godly shepherds and opening up to one another and sharing our hurts and our struggles and our fears and letting one another know where we desperately need to see the radiance of the glory of God shining in our hearts. And we should all be doing this. We should all be coming up to one another and asking for grace. Opening up to one another and asking for grace. Why? Because sin grows in the dark. Sin breeds in the dark. Sin reproduces and sin procreates and sin multiplies and sin expands its family in the dark. The perfect environment for sin To grow and expand and spread is in the dark. And so how do we kill sin so that it does not grow? We bring it into the light. We bring it into the radiance of the glory of God. Do we need more law? Do we need more rules? No, we need to see Jesus laying his life down for us on the cross. As John Owen said, a sense of the love of Christ in the cross lie at the bottom of all true spiritual mortification. Puritan John Owen wrote the manual on killing sin, and he said that the key to all spiritual mortification, the key to all sin being resisted and all sin being put to death was this, understanding and believing just how much Jesus loves you. You want to kill sin in your life? Then you have to understand how much Jesus loves you. You have to understand that God the Father was loving his son in and through the Holy Spirit in eternity past. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would pour, Romans 5 says, pour the love of God in our hearts. That's the key, God's love. As we saw last week, God's glory is his love. His weightiness, his heaviness, is his love for sinners like us. This is why we need to create a gospel culture here where we remind each other often of God's steadfast love so that we can freely admit our sins and our struggles and our hurts. So that there's no shaming and no guilting But when we share our struggles, we just point people to Jesus. We just tell them, I'm not your answer, but I know the one who is. His name is Jesus. Behold him in the gospel. We need to create a gospel culture here where we are loving on one another and praying for one another. And we keep pointing people back to Jesus. As Robert Murray Machane said, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms." Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart. And so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. So let me ask you today, where do you need the radiance of the glory of God to shine in your life? Where do you need his love to come in? The Hebrews wanted more law. They wanted more law and less grace and they thought that returning to the old covenant was the key to their spiritual life. They wanted to go back to Moses and not to Jesus. They wanted to go to Sinai and not to Calvary. They wanted more law and less grace. They needed to hear what Puritan Walter Marshall said. He said, God does not drive you along with whips and terrors or by the rod of the schoolmaster, the law. Rather, he leads you and draws you to walk in his ways by pleasant attractions. The love of Christ is the greatest and most pleasant attraction to encourage you to godly living. The Hebrews wanted to be whipped into obedience by the law. They forgot that God draws us to himself by pleasant attractions, by showing us his son Jesus. It's God's love that stirs obedience. It's God's love that makes us want to obey his commands. And so where do you need the radiance of the glory of God to shine into your life? Where do you need his love to come in What are those dark, unevangelized places in your heart right now this morning? Where does the love of Jesus need to shine bright in your heart? Here's a litmus test to see if you need more gospel in your heart. If these things describe you, then you know, in fact, that you do, in fact, have unevangelized, dark continents in your heart. Let me ask you, do you live with a vague sense of God's disapproval of you? You think God is always frowning at you? He's a grumpy dad. You think, is your image of God that he's the grumpy dad on the wonder years? Remember the wonder years? He's always yelling at Kevin. Come on, Kevin. Is that your image of God? He's always mad. You're always letting him down. If that is, you don't understand his grace, his love. You need the radiance of the glory of God to shine into that part of your heart if that's you this morning. Or maybe you feel sheepish bringing your needs before him after you've just failed him. So let's say you blew it. You did that sin that you've done 10,000 times. That sin that you said, God, please forgive me. I'll never do it again, ever again. I'm never, ever going to do this again, God. I promise you. And you go and do it. And then you need him to come through for you for something. And you feel like, I can't come before you now. I can't ask you for anything because I just did the thing that I promised you I would never do. If you feel sheepish bringing your needs, like I can't even come into your presence to ask you because I've just blown it. Then you need the radiance of the glory of God to shine into your heart in that moment. Or maybe you feel you deserve an answer to prayer because of your hard work and sacrifice. God, I get up and pray for two hours every morning. God, I haven't missed a devotional since January. I'm batting a 1,000 here, God. I think you owe me an answer to prayer because of all that I'm doing. I do so much for you, God. You owe me. If that's you, you don't understand grace. You need the radiance of the glory of God, his love to shine into that dark part of your heart this morning. Or maybe you assume that you've sinned so many times that you've used up all of your credit of forgiveness. You've sinned your sin, the one that you do so well, the one that you struggle with, and you feel like God's saying, sorry, you maxed out the grace credit card. You got no credit left. Is that you? You think there's no way God can forgive me now. Like, I've, I've finally exhausted his grace. Like, he has no more to give. I, I've taken it all. I've used up all my credit. If that's you, you don't understand God's grace. You don't understand his love. You need the radiance of the glory of God to invade that place in your heart. Or maybe you feel more confident before God because you've been faithful with your quiet times and with prayer and witnessing. It's like, I get a speed pass right to you, God. Not because of Jesus' performance, But because of my performance, not because of what Jesus has done for me, but because of what I have done for you, God, I get the speed past and can come right into your presence because I've been faithful. It's not about Jesus' faithfulness, it's about my faithfulness, God, and I just come right into your presence because of me. If that's you, you need the radiance of the glory of God, which is his love, to shine into that dark place in your heart. Or maybe you can't honestly say that you see yourself as blameless in his eyes. Right now, some of you feel dirty. You feel like you have the mange and that God wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole. You feel like when he sees you, he sees a dirty, filthy, no-good sinner. Think about your life this past week. Can you say, based on everything you said and thought and did, and the motives driving all that you said, thought, and did, can you honestly say right now, I'm still blameless in his eyes, as if I did none of that. If you can't, this morning you need the radiance of the glory of God, which is his overwhelming love for you to shine into that dark place in your heart. Or maybe you fear that the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time. You ever done that? You oversleep, you don't have time to pray, you don't have time to read God's word, and now you think your whole day, your whole life is going to be ruined. Oh, overslept, I didn't get to pray, I didn't get to read. I'm going to cause a zombie apocalypse because I missed my quiet time. Is that how you feel? I'm going to lose my job, someone in my family is going to pass away, all because of me. Listen, if it was all riding on us, there would already be a zombie apocalypse, If you fear the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time, you don't understand God's grace, you don't understand his love, and you desperately need the radiance of the glory of God, his steadfast love, to shine into that dark place in your heart. Or maybe you assume that you can do something to make him love you more. Or maybe you assume that you can do something to make him love you less. You think, You can do things and he'll love you more. If I serve more at church, God, you'll love me more because I'm doing more than everybody else. If If I read my Bible in the morning, you'll love me more. Or maybe on the opposite of that, you think when you mess up that his love begins to diminish. And you don't understand his grace and you need the radiance of the glory of God to shine into that dark place in your heart. Where do you need the radiance of the glory of God To shine in your life? Where do you need His love to come in? What are those dark, unevangelized places in your heart? Where does the love of Jesus need to shine bright in your heart? I want you to identify one of those dark continents right now. And I want you to think about what has you spellbound. What has you spellbound this morning? What kept you up last night and made you toss and turn? What was it that you were obsessing over more than Jesus? What has pulled your eyes away from Him? Is it greed, lust, jealousy? Pride, worry, doubt, fear, resentment, bitterness. What is it that has pulled you away from Jesus? What is it that you saw on social media that has just sucked the life out of you, taking your eyes off of Jesus, and you're obsessed over that? Look at this family's life. They got everything. They're always going on these vacations and doing these things. Oh, God, I got nothing. Has that pulled you away? What is it that has pulled you away from the radiance of his glory that's shining bright over you because you're in union with Jesus Christ. I want you to identify, we're gonna take a moment here and pray that God would send out his light and lead us to our beloved, lead us to Jesus, our exceeding joy. Gaze upon the beauty of Jesus and the gospel this morning, grace. But before we pray, let me encourage you with the gospel so you hear these last words from me. You take comfort in gospel truth. In Jesus, we are shielded and protected from all of those terrible things about us. Those things that we hate, we are shielded, we are protected because we are in union with him. And even when we look away from Christ, his gaze remains upon us. Even when you look away from him and you chase down 10,000 other lovers, his gaze never leaves you. Even when you fail to look at Christ 10 times for every time that you look at yourself, his gaze never leaves. That's good news for people who still have unevangelized dark continents in their hearts. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you and admit that as much as we want to for every look at ourselves, we don't look at your son 10 times. We, we want to, but we don't. So we stand exposed by your law this morning as people who have loved 10 million other things more than you. But thank you that your gaze never leaves us. Your love is steadfast. It endures forever forever. Thank you that we can't outsin your grace, we can't outsin your love. Pray this morning, Father, that the radiance of the glory of God shining in your son Jesus Christ, your love the weightiness and the heaviness of your love that was shown at the cross. We pray that that light, that glory, that radiance would beam forth into the nooks and crannies of our hearts, God, so that we would rejoice and walk out of here in freedom, celebrating Reformation Day, that it's all about grace and not what we do to be made right with you. So we pray with the psalmist in Psalm 43 this morning, Father. Send out your light And truth. Let them lead us to your holy hill, and then we will go to the altar of God, to God our exceeding joy. Send out your light this morning, Father, your love, and send out your truth, the truth of who you are, the truth of the gospel. Send them out now, Father, and let them lead us to the altar of God to God, our exceeding joy. Do this, we ask, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.